I had a scripture I wanted to read to you here. Mark chapter 16, verse 17. These signs will follow those who believe. Now, right away, I see something here, and that is the signs will follow those who believe. In other words, those who believe in Christ, obviously. But it indicates that as you step out in faith, the signs will follow you. In my name, they will cast out demons. Man, there's certainly a lot of stuff in the news lately about a massive rise in demon possession. Have you guys seen that? Some pretty amazing reports. I would highly suspect, in fact, I don't suspect it, I know it. One of the, another of the many signs of the last days will be an increase in demonic activity. Just like there was an increase in demonic activity at the first coming of Christ. Remember how many times in the Gospels he dealt with demon-possessed people? Another sign that we're getting very close to the return of Christ. Even this current pandemic. Many people are viewing that as another indicator of end times scenarios. Let me finish the verse. So I can't hardly read a Bible verse without preaching it. In my name they'll cast out demons, they'll speak with new tongues. Paul refers to the tongues of men and of angels in Acts chapter 2. The people spoke in tongues, but they were in known languages. People visiting from all over that part of the world. Jews from the diaspora, the dispersion, who and their, as they were dispersed into many lands, grew up speaking many different languages, and then they came to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. Holy Spirit fell on the 120 in the upper room, and they began to speak in tongues, but all the people that were there were hearing them praising God in their various languages. I had a friend many years ago, Pastor John Castile from uh, Grace Chapel in Tucson, Arizona. His family moved to Cuba before the revolution, before Castro took over. They were missionaries there in the 50s. John was a teenager, but he had a heart for God. And he said, Lord, I really want to be able to share my faith, but I don't speak Spanish. Would you please help me? And according to his testimony, God gave him the gift of Spanish. Do you believe that? It's possible? Yeah. Not, there are many other stories like that, too. But then we have the other tongues, the tongues of angels that Paul talks about. The Bible, the New Testament, speaks of praying in the Spirit. It's considered to be kind of a perfect prayer because it bypasses the human intellect. So they will cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, not like the snake handlers down south. But do you remember when Paul was gathering brush for the fire and the viper jumped out and locked onto his arm and all the islanders waited for Paul to swell up and die and nothing happened those vipers are very deadly they're very small and they're full of very deadly venom poisonous venom and that Paul just shook it off and then when he didn't die they all started worshiping him <laughs> and he discouraged it of course they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. Of course, I need to point out the verses leading up to this, 15 and 16. 
He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. So this is in the context of as you go forth in faith to serve God, to be his representative here on earth, he promises to protect you. And then finally, they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. How many of you have experienced that in your own life? Someone's prayed for you, laid hands on you, you've been sick and you've recovered from it. Raise them high, I want to see. There you go, okay. So, I'm reading this because of this current panic situation that people are in. God's not given us the spirit of fear, right? I'm not encouraging anyone to be foolish, to be stupid. But at the same time, I would like to point out a couple things. Just consider it. Digest it. Do with it as you will. In 2018, 2019, 30,000 people died from influenza. Did you know that? So far from the coronavirus in America. I know it's really bad in China. It's pretty bad in Italy, South Korea. We have 2,100 cases in America so far out of 350 million people. More people get shot in Chicago every day than that. We have 50 deaths. 37 of them are in Washington State. That means the whole rest of the entire country, there are 13 deaths. Now, we don't celebrate those. That's terrible. We don't want anyone to die. But guess what? Sooner or later, everybody's going to die. Right? I think the enemy is trying to use this to sow chaos, confusion, panic. Not only in our own country, but around the world. And again, the Bible does speak of many plagues and pestilences in the last days, but the truth of the matter is we've already experienced far worse. And for some reason, the H1N virus flu, uh, the swine flu, the avian flu, MERS, SARS, have you all heard of those? Do you remember any shutdowns? Again, I don't want anybody to go out of here saying, Pastor Gary said... Uh, Go grab everybody, rub everybody, get into the biggest crowd you can get. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that, okay? And it would be really funny if I got it. But I just don't think God's people should freak out. Been through a lot worse. So we need to pray. In fact, President Trump, horrible man that he is, has declared today a national day of prayer. Granted, it's always better to err on the side of caution, but there's a difference between caution and panic, right? I mean, factually, historically, panic usually does more harm than good. Would you agree? Let's pray. We're going to honor this national day of prayer right here and now. Father, we thank you for the promise of Mark chapter 16, verses 17 through 18. Lord, we know that doesn't mean that you give us carte blanche to just do any stupid thing we want to do. But you have promised that in the course of following you, serving you, stepping out in faith, to live our lives here on earth as ambassadors for Christ, 
that you have promised protection for us. Now we know all the apostles except for John died a martyr's death. You never promised there'd be no suffering. But Lord, even in death you are with us. And we know that for the believer, death is a promotion. Father, we do pray for your hand of protection upon the people of this nation. We pray for strength, wisdom, guidance for those that are involved in trying to stop this virus, find treatments, find vaccinations. Lord, there's been a lot of criticism, but I know that those folks and the CDC and the HHS and so forth, the doctors, all the physicians, the scientists, they're working hard. Lord, we ask you to guard their hearts and minds against the criticism that's leveled at them. It's easy for people to be armchair quarterbacks and to throw stones. And they do it as a president, too. But I believe with all my heart, all those folks, Vice President Mike Pence, all of them are doing their best to protect us from this virus. So I pray that you would bind the enemy from pouring out a spirit of fear and panic over our nation. Lord, that you would bring people to their senses, that they would calm down, they would relax. Again, not do anything foolish, but at the same time, not totally shut down out of fear. Pray that during this time you would use us as witnesses, as a testimony of your love, of your goodness, your mercy, your grace. And we do ask you to use this time of crisis to draw many people to yourself. We pray that, Lord, you, what the devil intends for evil, the destroying of many lives, you would use for good to bring many to Christ. We pray that there could be a revival that would spring forth out of this pandemic. And, Lord, that you would limit the number of cases in our nation and all over the world. Lord, that it would disappear as quickly as it came. Lord, that all the predictions of doom and gloom you would bring to naught. And that um, very soon, the people of our nation and all over the world would see that this has passed, even though it may arise again in various upcoming seasons. We know these various viruses do reemerge during the wintertime especially. We pray that you would keep it at a minimum, that you would also protect people from all these other viruses that are floating around out there. Lord, if it wasn't for your hand of protection, if it wasn't for your love, your grace, your mercy... The human race wouldn't even be around now. Lord, you've kept us here so you can save us because you're not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. And that's what we pray through this, that you bring many to repentance, many to faith in you, Lord. Many would be born again by the Spirit of God and receive the precious gift of eternal life. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Obviously, it's a national day of prayer. You can and should continue to pray throughout the rest of the day. Jude, chapter 1, that's the only chapter, right? There's only one chapter. Jude, chapter 1, and today we're going to look at how many verses? Okay, let's read that one verse. These, you know who these are, but we'll, we'll reiterate that in a moment. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts. And they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. Let's pray. Father, we do lift up this time in your word this morning. We thank you that we're all here, most of us anyway. <laughs> I can even add humor into a prayer, folks. Most of us are here. 
And God, we ask you to bless this time of study. May we learn, may we grow, may we thrive from feeding upon your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. These, you know who these are. They're the false teachers, the false prophets, these certain men who have crept in unnoticed, as Jude mentions in verse 4. And throughout the rest of this chapter, he's been describing the various examples of God's punishment on wickedness, and he's relating it to these false teachers, these false prophets. The long list of pejoratives that Jude has leveled against them in this chapter is incredible. It's amazing. It's startling, etc. I'm going to read them off for you. There's seven, at least. One, in verse four, he says they are marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. That's verse 4. Verse 8. These dreamers, he calls them dreamers. They've got their head in the clouds. They're not living in the realm of reality. They defile the flesh. So even though they give forth an air of spirituality, they really defile the flesh, reject authority. And you've heard me say many times, you can't truly walk in authority unless you learn how to walk under authority. God's authority and even human authority that God has placed you under. They reject authority. They are rebellious. They speak evil of dignitaries, which means celestial beings. At the end of this chapter, Jude uses the example of Michael debating with Satan over the body of Moses. And Michael dared not bring a railing accusation against Satan. He didn't mock him. He said, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Okay, 3, verse 10, these speak evil of whatever they do not know and whatever they know naturally. So in other words, if it's something to do with doctrine, theology, spiritual things, and they don't know it, they just mock it. Whatever they know naturally in the flesh like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. Verse 10, verse 11, for they have gone the way of Cain, who slew his brother Abel, Unrighteous Cain was jealous of his righteous brother and he killed him. Have run greedily in the error of Balaam who had a genuine gift of prophecy but he sold himself out to the highest bidder for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Korah raised up this rebellion against the leadership of Moses and guess what? God opened the ground and swallowed them all up. Verse 12, spots or blemishes in your love feasts. That was where they would have like a potluck and then take communion together. Their blemishes while they feast with you without fear. No fear of God. No fear of the consequences of their own actions. Without fear, serving only themselves. And finally, verse 13, number 7. Raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, billowing up all that Garbage, as you walk along the beach, you see all the junk that's churned up by the ocean waves, raging waves of the sea. I mean, there's nothing calming like a nice, peaceful bay or inlet, right? When people want to relax and chill out, they don't go to the west, southwestern coast of Australia where the king waves come up and sweep people out to sea. I've been down there. People have gone out onto the rock to look at the ocean. These giant king waves just sweep up out of nowhere and they're never seen again. That's not very calming or peaceful, is it? 
You go to where there's a nice calm inlet or bay and the water's just smooth and calm and you just lay out and relax. But these guys like raging waves of the sea. Get everybody all stirred up, all worked up. Foaming up their own shame. Actually, I could have made this number eight. Wandering stars. We talked about that. When you, we look up the constellations, they're where you expect them to be. The ancient mariners would use the constellations to guide them. But when you have a wandering star, a shooting star, a comet, a meteor, it just makes a big flame, a big bright light, and then it burns out. These are all descriptive of these guys. And we pick it up, let's see, in verse 14. 14 through 15, Jude calls them ungodly three times in three different ways. We saw this last week. Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. How many of you here today plan to be in that number? When the saints, we're not going to come marching in, we're going to riding in. <laughs> right on. <laughs> when the saints come riding in to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they've committed in ungodly ways and all of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Four times. I said three, it's four. He uses that phrase, ungodly, that word ungodly, to describe these men and women. Could be women too. Are you starting to get the impression that Jude feels very strongly about those who creep into the church to deceive and disrupt. Are you getting that impression? You should be. Because at the beginning we saw how Jesus says, well, I was going to write to you about our common salvation. Just a nice letter about what the doctrinal word is soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. Just kind of brush everybody up on their theology concerning salvation. But he goes, oh, then I found out all these guys are creeping into the church and bringing in false doctrine and I had to defend. We have to defend that faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. What does that mean? That means that by the end of the first century and by the death of the last apostle, every inspired word spoken by God that he wanted to impart to the church had been given. Do you get that? Once for all delivered to the saints. That means if somebody new comes down the pike with a new doctrine that contradicts what's in the Bible, you have to reject that. And yet it's so popular today to do just that. I mean, we have a multitude of cults out there that have done that already. But now even with what we would call the mainstream, mainline churches, many times we're seeing new doctrines, new teachings, new beliefs being introduced. Well, you know, we're in a postmodern era now. It's the 21st century. We've got to get with the program. We've got to get with the times. We've got to reinterpret the Scriptures. And that's what some of these modern flaky translations are doing. That's what some of these modern flaky pastors are doing. The faith, Jude says, this is in the first century, folks, that was once for all delivered to the saints. You hear people say things like, well, we need to reinvent Christianity. Really? We didn't invent it to begin with. God did. God's the eternal one, the great I am. We don't need to reinvent what he has created. We need to modernize it 
right? To reach this generation. Is that what Jesus did? No, he just told it like it was and like it is. That's what we need to continue to do. Now we can take out the these and thous, but we cannot in any way alter the message. We can't compromise on that which God has made very clear. And you might be amazed, but Jude isn't even done yet. Here in verse 16, as we start, actually start to the verse that we're in today, these, these same ones that we've just given you, all these pejoratives that Jude has laid out against them, now he has more to say. These are grumblers. Noah Webster, 1828 dictionary, my favorite. Noah Webster was a believer and all of his definitions had biblical foundations. Noah Webster, one who grumbles or murmurs. One who complains. A discontented man. And see, for whatever reason, this person or these persons are discontented, a lot of their false doctrines and false teachings are birthed out of their own discontentment. They've somehow been hurt or offended by the church, by whoever. And so they're going to show everybody and come up with their own belief system. These creeps, and I say that because they crept in. These creeps, they go around complaining about the pastor, the leaders, other people in the body. In order to turn people against the pastor and the leaders. So that they can gain control over the church. We've had some instance of that in the not too distant past. And it's funny, after I dealt with it. I kept having people coming up and confirming it. But nobody said anything beforehand. (laughs) I would encourage you, if you are being subjected to that, that you challenge that person. Well, if you really feel that way, go with me. Let's go to the pastor and talk to him right now. Right? If you really feel that way about so-and-so, the Bible says you're supposed to go talk to him. Right? If you have an accusation against someone, you're supposed to go to that person. I guarantee you they won't want to do that. But that's what you should do. And that means they probably won't ever come and talk to you about it again. And you can also tell them what you're doing is not godly, it's not biblical, it's divisive, it's disruptive. And unless you want to be numbered amongst the creeps, stop doing that. James 5.9 Do not grumble against one another, brethren. Wow, listen to this next part. Lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge, you come to judge. The judge with a big J is standing at the door. Now, Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come into him and sup with him or dine with him and he with me. You remember that verse? Well, he's the same guy that's at the door. He's at the door bringing judgment. The judge is at the door. In other words, you might think you're getting away with things, 
but you won't get away with them forever. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. They are grumblers and they are complainers. The New American Standard Bible uses the word finding fault. The NIV says fault finders. The English Standard Version says malcontents. Fault finders, malcontents. What did Jesus say? He said, before you try to remove the speck from your brother's eye, what? Remove the log from your own. They are fault finders. Just like the Pharisees. The Pharisees found fault with everybody except themselves. And that's how these guys are, or gals. And yet, so often, even believers have a hard time distinguishing between godly compassion and fleshly compassion. And that's why people begin to compromise back down rather than taking a stand against that which is wrong. Because most people have a modicum of natural compassion. God made us that way. By and large, we might be sinners, but we're not evil. I mean, you know, we are. But you know what I'm trying to say, right? Most people, at least to one degree or another, care about other people. Not all. Certainly not this group we're talking about here. And so when somebody's struggling with something, your natural response, you feel bad, you want to help them, and so forth. But that has to be balanced with the truth of God's Word. That's called walking in the Spirit. That's called being Spirit-filled, being led by the Spirit. In fact, Jude talks about this at the end of the chapter 2. We'll get to that. And so you feel bad for somebody. They're, they're complaining. They're grumbling. They're a malcontent. They're a fault finder. Oh, but it's not really their fault because when they were three years old, their blankie flew out the car window. <laughs> or what have you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so because we are caring, we're always looking for ways to justify people's bad behavior. Are you tracking with me here? We have to learn how to love them in Christ without condoning their bad behavior. And so if someone is a fault finder, a grumbler, a complainer, a malcontent, you can lovingly tell them, you know, really, you shouldn't be doing that. I love you, but what you're doing is wrong. You need to stop complaining. You need to stop finding fault. You know, evaluate your own heart, your own life your relationship with God. You see, they tear apart others in their efforts to serve God. I could have done that better. Man, I could have preached a better message than that guy. If you feel that way, let me know and I'll give you a shot. <laughs> Maybe you will. That would be cool. I'm not intimidated. I love to see other people thrive and flourish and do well. In fact, I think if I put somebody up here that's better than me, it just makes me look good. Pastor Gary made a good decision there, boy. You see? It actually makes me look worse if they're terrible. 
What in the world is he doing putting that bozo in the pulpit? You know what I'm saying? So if, if you're intimidated by somebody outshining you, then that's a problem. Shouldn't be. They tear others apart and their efforts to serve God in order to build themselves up. But by the way, guess who the Bible refers to as the accuser of the brethren? Talk about grumbling, fault-finding, malcontents. Satan is the accuser of the brethren in Revelation 12.10. He also went before God to accuse Job, remember? But in Revelation 12.10 it says, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. We believe that this is an event that takes place halfway through the tribulation where Satan is cast down to the earth. Oh boy, you think things are bad on this planet now? I, for one, am glad I'm not going to be here. I'm going up in the rapture. My friend always used to say, hey, man, if you don't believe in the rapture, once I'm gone, will you watch my dog for me? Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren. This whole chapter is about the war in heaven between Michael and God's angels and Satan and his angels. He's cast down. The power of his Christ has come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. So Satan's the accuser of the brethren. So anytime somebody is making accusations, they're complaining, they're fault-finding. I mean, Jesus had some really strong words for the Pharisees. John 8, 44. You are of your father the devil. That's about as politically incorrect as you can get. Or I call it spiritual incorrectness. You're of your father the devil, boys. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. And boy, did they want to murder Jesus, didn't they? In fact, they did. And does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. It sounds harsh, but it's the truth. Jesus said it. And certainly, anybody who is behaving in this manner whether they know it or not, whether they like it or not, whether they want to or not, they're becoming instruments and mouthpieces of the devil. 1 John 3.10 In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. You see, the world wants to make everything cloudy, gray, mushy, right? No right and wrong. You know, you have your truth, I have mine. And if our truth should meet, it's a wonderful thing. <laughs> no, there's only one truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He tells the Father, your word is truth. Not a truth. It is truth. Our God is the embodiment of truth. And the Apostle John here, in his first epistle, chapter 3, verse 10, says, hey, basically you got two groups here, folks. 
Children of God? Children of the devil. How are they manifest? How are they made known? Whoever does not practice righteousness, I need a lot of practice. What about you? We have to practice. It just doesn't happen magically. God doesn't wave a magic wand over you and suddenly, I'm righteous. Oh, yeah. No, you have to practice. And hopefully, we, the more we practice, the better we get at it. The children of God practice righteousness. And we have a righteousness not of ourselves. It comes from God. It's imparted to us through Jesus Christ. It's His righteousness. And He lovingly, graciously shares it with us. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. So here's the deal. I came up with a new term, phrase, that I shared a while back. Because everybody's identifying as everything now, right? I identify as a golden retriever. You know? Identify as anything. And so for those who identify as believers, think about that. Jesus said, not all those who cry, Lord, Lord, will be saved. Good question to ask. Are you, am I, are they practicing righteousness? Now, when you practice, sometimes you miss the mark, right? At batting practice, you probably miss more than you hit. Maybe, depends on how good of a batter you are. But if you don't go to the batting cage... If you don't practice at all, then that's a good indicator you're not a baseball player, right? You're not in the game. So are you practicing righteousness? I'm not asking you if you're perfect. That's a ridiculous question because you're not, I'm not, nobody will ever be perfect in this life. But are you practicing righteousness? Are you just saying, I believe, and then going and doing whatever you want to do? Because I'm saved. Once saved, always saved. I can do whatever I want. No, you can't. Well, you can, but then you're going to have to deal with God on that at some point. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Oh, man, are you kidding me? You've got to throw that in there? I could probably slip by on the practicing righteousness. I held the door open for a lady today. Am I good to go for today, Lord? I was driving by this guy who was out there with a sign. I gave him a couple of bucks. Am I good to go? But now you're telling me i got to love my brother? Really? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. And if you love your brother, you're not grumbling, complaining, fault-finding, accusing. Hello? And yet, these are all the things that cause so many problems in so many churches. Do you know that? And that's the thing that gives Christianity and our God a bad name. Because this kind of garbage goes on all the time in the church. And it shouldn't. And this church will do our best for it not to go on, won't we? What? All right. You can say amen. amen. Praise God. Because we are more than conquerors, right? We're dedicated. We're committed to follow God and obey Him. Amen? We're not perfect. 
We're still practicing righteousness. But many identify as believers, but they don't show any signs of practicing righteousness. There's the gossip, there's the backbiting, there's the criticism. The Bible, it says here, by the way, that these guys, these grumblers, walk according to their own lusts. Again, more evidence that they're not true followers of Christ. And we've seen some of the lavish lifestyles some of these guys have exhibited. And it's really no different than those in the secular world who are constantly being critical of people who happen to be blessed with prosperity while they themselves are extremely prosperous, right? we got to tax the rich, tax the rich, tax the rich. And the ones saying it are the rich. And they don't mean tax me. They mean tax everybody else but me, right? Walk according to their own lusts. And so we see many times they get into trouble in other ways too with women and so forth. In fact, they say the three G's that are the greatest danger to the ministry, the gold, the glory, and the girls. Only nowadays, it could be other things, as we know. But the Bible refers, notice they walk according to their own lusts. The Bible refers to life here on earth as a walk, right? There's a song I wrote, we sang not too long ago, I want to walk like Jesus walks. The Bible refers to our life here on earth as a walk. It's not a sprint. It's a long distance marathon. And we choose either to walk with God. We choose. It's a choice. If God didn't want me to do that, why didn't he stop me? Because you're not a robot, you're not a puppet, you're a free moral agent, you're created in the image of God, that's what makes you special, that's what makes you unique, because you, like God, have free will. God didn't create robots or puppets, he created us in his image, which means we can choose. So we can either choose to walk with God, or we can choose to walk according to our own lusts like these creeps. The walk with God is one in which we are guided by the Holy Spirit. The other way is to be guided by our own fleshly, sinful nature. And here I'm going to read a very lengthy passage of Scripture because it's just so applicable. Galatians 5, beginning in verse 16. Paul says, I say then, walk in the Spirit. If you try to run in the Spirit, the chances are you're going to get ahead of God. It also doesn't say lollygag in the Spirit. Drag your feet in the Spirit. No, just walk. Walk with God day by day. Adam walked with God in the cool of the garden, remember? Enoch walked with God and he was not. Was not what? Not here, he was up there. Rapture. Walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So these creeps 
These deceivers, false teachers, false prophets, so forth, they walk according to their own lusts. If we walk in the Spirit, we'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Therefore, what? They're not walking in the Spirit. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, diametrically opposed to one another, and the Spirit against the flesh. Paul talks about that struggle in the book of Romans. That which I would not do, I do. That which I would do, I do not. That's the struggle, the flesh versus the spirit. He says, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, praise be to God. The one who delivers us from this is God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He will give us the strength to resist the flesh and to walk in the spirit. These are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The law is for those who do not walk in the Spirit. The law simply exposes the fact that we are sinners. The law of love, the new covenant in Christ, sets us free from the law of sin and death, according to Romans chapter 8. Now the works of the flesh are evident which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. All these are the works of the flesh, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in the time past, that those who practice, hello, you can also practice sin just like you practice righteousness. Did you know that? And guess what? Just like when you practice righteousness, you tend to get better at it. Guess what happens when you practice sin? You get better at it. The only problem is the better you get, the worse it is. The more destructive it becomes. If you practice long enough at being a drug addict, it's going to destroy you. If you practice long enough at being an alcoholic, it's going to destroy you. That's true for every one of these sins that are enumerated here. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because they will lose their salvation? No, I don't think so. Why? Because they were never saved in the first place? Probably. They identify as believers. But have they truly been born again? Probably not. God gives us this as a means of self-examination. I think the most, the most powerful deception of all is self-deception. Do you know that? And nothing is scarier than the thought that someone might be living under the false assumption, false comfort that they're saved when they're truly not. So God wants us to examine ourselves. 1 Corinthians 11. Examine yourself. See if you be in the Lord, if you be in Christ. Am I practicing righteousness or am I practicing the opposite? The fruit of the Spirit. Notice the difference. The works of the flesh. That means you're working at it, baby. Yeah. I'm going to get out there and I'm going to sow my wild oats. I'm going to make it happen. Right? 
You only go around once. You've got to give it all the gusto, right? That old beer commercial. But the fruit of the Spirit is not work. As you walk with God, as you seek Him daily, as you feed upon His Word, as you spend time in prayer, the fruit of the Spirit, fruit is the natural byproduct of a healthy tree, right? Or a healthy vine, healthy bush. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you're connected to God, if you're receiving proper sustenance and nutrients from Him, then the fruit that grows will be a natural byproduct. It's not work. It's fruit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law. There's no law against being loving, joyful, or any of the other things. A lot of the other things, the works of the flesh, yeah, they're not only destructive, they will not only keep you out of God's kingdom, a lot of them are against the law too. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh. You've got to realize that old flesh doesn't die easy. Throughout the book of Romans, we talked about this, the dual nature. We will struggle with this for the rest of our earthly days until we are completely and finally transformed when we see Jesus face to face. In the meantime, it's an ongoing struggle. The flesh versus the spirit, I likened it to the zombie craze. And I believe there's a prophetic nature to the whole zombie thing, by the way. Don't think that there isn't. There is a spiritual prophetic nature to this whole obsession and fascination with zombies and it very much ties into the last days. But it's like the zombie. Every time you try to kill it, he just keeps coming back, right? Because he's already dead. In Christ, the old man is dead. He just doesn't know it yet. And so there's this ongoing struggle. We need to be yielding ourselves over to God, practicing righteousness, walking in the Spirit. Those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, nailed to the cross. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. To live in the Spirit means you've been born again by the Spirit of God. To walk in the Spirit means you practice righteousness every day. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to a man. That's that walking after their own lusts. Walking after the flesh. The way that seems right to a man. But its end is the way of death. You cannot follow your own natural inclinations. You need to be led by the Spirit of God every day. And then we got a couple more. Jude, man, he's just not letting up. They mouth great swelling words. The way I put this is they are experts at saying a whole lot of nothing and making it sound like a whole lot of something. And again, what a parallel between the secular world, the politicians, the news media. They're experts at saying a whole lot of nothing and making it sound like a whole lot of something, which basically means they're full of hot air. They mouth great swelling words, and they come in very handy at Balloon Fiesta. Okay, 
Psalms 55, 21. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil. Remember that president they nicknamed him Slick Willie? His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Then Jude says, after mouth-swelling words, great words, flattering people to gain advantage. And I've had plenty of that over the years. Man, you're the only pastor in this town that's preaching the truth. I'm with you all the way. I got your back, buddy. But what they forgot to tell me was they have my back, but they have a knife to go into it. Oops, we missed that part. Or to somebody else serving in the church. Hey, man, you're doing an amazing job. You're just not getting the credit you deserve. Now, if I was in charge, you'd get the recognition you should have. Flattering people to gain advantage. You know the drill. You've heard it all before. Proverbs 26, 28. A lying tongue hates those who are crushed by it. And a flattering mouth works ruin. And so once again, we find the truth is exactly opposite of what the world tells you. We've talked about this with the idea of self-worth, self-esteem. You've got to learn to love yourself first before you can love anybody else. As long as you keep focusing on loving yourself, you're never going to truly love anybody else. The Bible said just the opposite. Lay down your life for one another. Prefer one another in love. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. And so we see the same thing here. A lying tongue hates those who are crushed by it, and a flattering mouth works ruin. We all want to be complimented. We want to be recognized. We want to be flattered. But the truth of the matter is, Proverbs 27, 5 Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. You hurt my feelings. I'm never speaking to you again. But you know what? The person who's honest with you is the real friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Love you, man. Oh, yeah. You're perfect. You're amazing. You're awesome. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's really not what we need. We need honesty. There's a song, right? Honesty. Psalm 62, 4. They only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Don't forget that. Plus, if you really get hurt, you can always go to your safe space. Pop your little uh, cocoa pod in your Keurig. Get some hot cocoa. Break out the puppies. Okay? God's word, folks, is so clear and decisive concerning those who creep into the church unnoticed to deceive and undermine, and yet so many people still fall for it. It's obvious that a great number who identify as believers don't carefully search out the scriptures and are almost entirely lacking in discernment. Did you know that that is one of the things that God promises us as believers when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, that we would have discernment. We would be able to recognize deception when we see it, when we hear it. And yet so many people miss it. 
Again, I don't know if they're believers in name only. God knows. But there certainly is a great deal of deception going around. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4. We'll close with this. Paul writes to Timothy, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. The judge is at the door. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. When it's convenient, when it's not. When it's popular, when it's not. There was a time back in the late 60s and 70s during the Jesus movement where actually there was a period of time where it was cool to be a Christian. And they even played Christian-ish songs on secular radio. And there was a, a revival that swept the nation and then the world and it was characterized by a return to the Word of God. But he tells Timothy, preach the Word in season, out of season. I would suggest that right now we're out of season. But I'm not going to stop. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching, for the time will come, hello, when they will not endure sound doctrine. You're bigoted, you're hateful, you're dogmatic, you're legalistic. We just want to flow in the Spirit here, bro. Don't dump any of that heavy doctrine on me, man. Just love one another. We all call to love one another, but we're also called to speak the truth in love. But according to their own desires, hello, who does that sound like? That sounds like these creepy guys. According to their own desires. I don't want to hear that, man. That's not my thing. That's not my bag. That's not what I'm into. I don't want to hear about sin, repentance, confession, blood. It's your job to make me feel good, preacher. Well, which Bible did you find that in? The massage? Time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They won't put up with it. Now, you guys that have been here for a while, we haven't had too much of this lately. I don't know why. I must be blowing it. Because we haven't had hardly anybody walk out. What is wrong with me? I'm going to have to ramp it up. No, I'm just... How many of you remember that, though? Over and over again. Gets a little hot and heavy. Somebody gets up and walks out. And then again, when the human compassion kicks in, people get offended at me for offending them. I didn't do it. God did it. The Word of God did it. The Holy Spirit did it. Amen. I'm just his messenger. But there's that old thing, don't shoot the messenger, but often people do. Sounds good on paper. Don't shoot the messenger. Well, we're, we can see you. We're shooting you. According to their own desires, because they have itching ears. Tickle me. Make me feel good. Tell me what I want to hear. They will heap up for themselves teachers, just like they did in Israel in ancient days. They had all these paid-off prophets, paid-off priests to tell them what they wanted to hear. 
And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. The time will come. You know what, folks? The time has come. It's here. It's kind of funny because I heard somebody talking about this um, coronavirus and people dying and so forth. It's not a good thing. We do need to keep that in prayer. But they were saying how basically, I think it might have been Rush Limbaugh, but he's out. We go through life. We know that death is a reality, but we never think it's going to happen to us, right? It's always somebody else, right? Whether it's cancer, diabetes, you name it. It's a bad thing, oh my goodness, it's a terrible disease, but I'll never get it, right? And yet, we know that there's a time coming when these things will come to pass. God's word is true. God is not a man that he should lie. And so when Paul says the time is coming when they will not endure sound doctrine, Again, people are skeptical. I hear people say all the time, you know, I don't think Jesus is coming for a long time yet. Did you know that that's not pleasing to God when you say that? Even if, if it may be true. Did you know that God wants every generation of believers to believe that Jesus is coming at any moment? He wants us to be excitedly anticipating the return of Christ. Because why? If we don't, we're going to become apathetic. We're going to com become complacent. We're going to become lethargic. We're going to just get stuck in the muck and the mire of everyday life. It's absolutely imperative, in my opinion, that every believer believe that he could come at any moment. But here's the fact. At some point in human history, these things are going to happen. Now, in previous generations, people were always ready to believe that. Oh, it's here. It's here. They thought Hitler was the Antichrist and so on and so forth. But now we have a new generation with a whole different attitude. Oh, that's not going to happen. And if it does, it's not going to be in my lifetime. That's not a very good attitude to take, in my opinion. When Paul says, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, that means at some point in human history, there's going to be a worldwide abandonment of the truth. The Bible clearly says in the last days there will be a great falling away. Now, in my opinion, we're here. We need to determine that we will not fall away. We will not give in. We will not back down. That's a song, too. Won't back down. You can stand me up to the gates of hell, but I won't back down. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Let's pray. Actually, what we're going to do, because there is some concern about close contact and touching and all that, although you're all pretty close together right now. How many of you here today need prayer for one reason or another? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, keep your hand up. Put it back up again. All right, I'm going to pray, but I would like the person next to you not put their hands on you, but, but pray silently to that, for that person specifically, would you please? And if you want to turn to that person next to you and tell them specifically what it is that you want prayer for, let's take a moment and we'll do that right now. Tell them. Tell the person next to you 
or either side of you what you need prayer for. Because if they've got anything, you've already got it anyway, so. Okay, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time here today. Lord, I lift up each one that's raised their hand and acknowledge, yeah, I need prayer today. Father, and they have shared these things with people next to them so they know what it is exactly. Father, whether it be a health concern, Lord, wisdom, guidance, issues at work, issues at home, issues in the neighborhood. Lord, whatever it is, we know you've got it under control. And we do pray for each one now that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon them. Lord, your word says you give us the desires of our hearts. And we know that means if our hearts are towards you and we have good godly desires, you will answer those prayers. Lord, you also said if we ask for a loaf of bread, you won't give us a stone. If we ask for a fish, for nourishment, for nutrients, you won't give us a serpent. We thank you for that, Lord. Lord, bless each one now. We ask in Jesus' name. Pour out your spirit upon them. And Father, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, even right now they can pray and invite Christ into their heart. We know that right where they stand. In fact, I'm just going to pray that prayer now just to make sure. Anybody wants to pray along with me, feel free to do that. Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. Lord Jesus, I confess to you that I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sins. Come and live inside of me. I want to be born again. I pray that you would make me a new person. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to live my life for you. In Jesus' name, amen.